Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew. We continue our series on parables, looking at Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his fields, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I lived in the Netherlands for a semester, I stayed with a woman named Pam, and we watched HGTV religiously. Primarily the show Say Yes to the Dress, which seemed to air almost every hour of the day. This long-running show simply follows brides-to-be as they hunt down their perfect wedding dress, the one who reflects who they are, the one that fits inside their budget or stretches it just slightly, the one that looks the way they always imagined it. And each episode ends with usually a tearful bride adorned in a beautiful gown saying yes to her dress. Is the show carefully scripted and contrived? Absolutely. Do I cry almost every episode? Absolutely. There is something about weddings, something about all the preparations and the planning and the glitz and the glamour and the festivity and the flowers and the beautiful dresses and perfectly pressed suits that just elicits gladness in my heart. Even as I scoff about how expensive weddings are and roll my eyes at some of the more outlandish wedding trends. Weddings are beautiful. They are just good, joyful occasions. Which is why it's rather surprising to me that no one wants to attend this wedding banquet in the parable we just read. I will admit to have gotten up early in the morning in 2018 to watch Harry and Meghan's royal wedding. (laughs) Because a royal wedding is quite a spectacle, right? 
And we, we would expect the same to be true in the first century AD. This would be a, a lavish banquet, a royal party, luxurious and splendid. This would be the party of all parties, the feast to end all feasts. To be invited to this party would be an honor that few would or should turn down. As was the custom at the time, the king in our story sends out two invitations. This was how this worked back then. The first invitation goes out as a general invitation. It's kind of like a save the date, only without the date. It would have said something like, my son is getting married soon. Please be ready to celebrate with us. This is more of a heads up. Go buy a new outfit. Put away some money to travel. Make sure you have some babysitters on call. And then as the date is solidified and draws near, a second invitation goes out, giving people the exact details. The time has come. Please join us now. But they don't. They've decided they've apparently got something better to do than attend this wedding. Like those rather irritating people who don't commit to anything in case something better comes along, they send the king's servants back with a, sorry, we're busy, reply. Now when any of us get that response to an invitation, we are a little bit irked. But for a king to get such a reply from everyone he had sent invitations to, that's just downright embarrassing for him. The king has to save face, right? He has to show that he is not a man to be trifled with, that you can't just skip out on the king. So we would fully expect the king to send his servants back with the message that the king is now taking possession of everything they own and subjecting them to a life of misery and subjugation, and let's see how you like that. But he doesn't. He does send his servants back a second time, but he's basically pleading with the people to come begging them. I've got the choicest meats prepared for you. The banquet hall is bedecked and bejeweled. Please come. And still, they don't. Some just shoo the servants away and get back to whatever it was that's preoccupying them, their business, their home life. Some take a rather extreme approach perhaps because they fear what will happen if they send the servants back with their negative reply, and they kill the king's servants. And now the king's judgment comes. Now his wrath befalls the ungrateful wretches. He sends out his army, killing those who had murdered his servants, destroying their cities in his fury. And he tells his remaining servants, Go into the streets and find everyone and anyone, the post office worker, the pharmacist, the busker on the corner, the banker, the CEO, the homeless man in the encampment, and invite them to the wedding feast. And so the king fills the banquet hall. Now there are a couple ways we can read this parable. 
a couple interpretive stumbling blocks we need to be aware of. The first and perhaps most tempting way of reading this parable is to apply it only to Jesus' present-day situation. So that it's, it's about the spread of the kingdom from the Israelites to the Gentiles. The Israelites were God's people. They had received the general invitation. Be ready. Be on the lookout. I am going to invite you into something magnificent. But then the second invitation came. Jesus, the Messiah, stepped onto the scene. And the Jews did not respond well. Many of them turned up their noses at this Jesus, and some, the religious leaders and the elite, would go so far as to kill him and the king's servants, the apostles, to stop this invitation from spreading. And so the the king broadened the invitation to include anyone and everyone, and Gentiles were now invited into the kingdom. That is one way of reading this parable, and and it's not an incorrect way. That is certainly part of the narrative. But if we leave it at that reading, we are rather off the hook here, aren't we? The judgment in this text is for those people, not for us. We, after all, are the chosen ones invited in. Being those chosen ones, we could also read this parable to be solely about the grace of God that allows entrance into his kingdom for everyone and anyone. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't need to be on first-name terms with the king's staff to get an invitation. No matter who you are, God's grace is enough for you. And this, too, is good and right. This is also part of the story. God's grace is sufficient to bring us, all of us, undeserving though we are, into the fold. This is good news, and it is important news to share. So we love the the David Crowder song that says, There's hope for the hopeless and all those who have strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste of the grace. O wanderer, come home, you're not too far. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart. Come as you are. That is good news. That is a good story. But it's not where this story, this parable, ends. There are four more verses to this parable, and they're rather important for us. The king is intermingling with his wedding guests, this motley crew of people, and he spots someone. Everyone else, upon receiving their invitation from the king, put on their best clothes, the outfit they saved for special occasions. They did up their hair, they took a bath, they spent way too much time on their makeup. This was an honor, after all, and they wanted to look their best. But there's one man at this wedding banquet in a pair of ripped-up jeans and a baggy t-shirt. He hasn't combed his hair in days. He looks a bit disheveled. So the king stops this man and questions him. And notice that when he questions him, he calls the man friend. Friend. 
He's still gentle in his questioning, offering this man a chance to explain. Friend, why aren't you wearing your wedding clothes? But the man has no response. He's speechless. He's got no reason, no excuse, nothing to defend this behavior. So the king has him thrown outside into the darkness, into the abyss. You don't need to be anything fancy to be invited to the party. But once invited, you're expected to look the part to stay in the party. And that rubs our reformed sensibilities wrong in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? Sola gratia, we heard in the prayer. Grace alone, we clamor. And doesn't the Apostle Paul in all of his letters say that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness? That it's Christ's righteousness that is imputed to us, that is given to us, and we are just, we are passive in that interaction. This happens to us. Isn't faith all that is required of us? Haven't we always heard that we are not saved by works, by what we do, by how we look? Yes, and also, and also, we need to ask ourselves what true faith looks like. And also, even though we are not saved by our own goodness, by what we do, we need to ask ourselves if, having been saved, if our lives reflect the gratitude we have for such saving grace. John Calvin puts it this way, there's no point arguing about the marriage garment in this story, whether it stands for faith or a holy and godly life. For faith cannot be separated from good works, and good works proceed only from faith. All Christ wants to say here is that we are called by the Lord under the condition that we be renewed in our spirits into his image. And therefore, if we are to remain always in his house, the old person with all the blemishes is to be cast off. And we are to practice, to practice the new life we have been given so that our appearance may correspond to our honorable calling. Does our appearance correspond to our honorable calling? Do we know what this calling is? Do we live in such astonishment that we have been invited into the banquet hall, that we long to please the king who invited us? by being everything he desires us to be. Caroline Lewis is a professor of preaching at Luther Seminary, and she pokes preachers rather hard in the ribs in her commentary on this text. She writes, I wonder if the decline of mainline Protestantism is because we have been satisfied with just getting people in the pews 
And once we get them there, we're so happy they showed up that we've forgotten that accountability comes with discipleship. Do we placate and pacify with our preaching, she wonders, rather than proclaim the good news of a God who did more than just show up? Are we inviting people all of us, are we inviting people into a reality that changes who they are? The chosen, she says, alluding to Jesus' declaration at the end of this parable. The chosen are the ones who believe that a God who is Emmanuel, who is here with us, might very well stake a claim on their own humanity. And indeed, the word chosen for Matthew isn't a predestination word. It isn't about what God did before any of us came into existence. That's how the Apostle Paul uses the word chosen. But for Matthew, the word chosen is a goal. It's something to live into. It's a summons to live as those who are chosen by God. Matthew isn't so much interested in figuring out who's in and who's out. And neither should we be. God and God alone knows who he has called, who he has invited to the feast, and we can trust him in that. Matthew is interested in what we do once we're in. Do we sit back and act as though nothing has changed for us? Or, as the theologian Matthew Henry says, do we ask ourselves repeatedly, am I wearing the wedding garment? Am I seeking to live a life that corresponds to this honorable calling? Do I say yes to the dress when every morning when I rise, praying that my life might be worthy, might correspond to the invitation God has in his grace extended to me. I'm so glad that this sermon follows Harriet's sermon on the parable of the pearl because she reminded us that our motivation for relinquishing all the things we cling to in life in order to seek first the kingdom, that that motivation is not misery or a sense of obligation or fear, but joy. That the kingdom is of such beauty and worth, how could we not seek it with everything that we are? And this same truth applies to the parable of the wedding banquet. It can feel like a, a heavy burden that the king is asking of us to dress according to our invitation. And when reading this text, our motivation could easily be that of fear lest we be thrown out into the dark of night. But the parable doesn't start with a dark, cold night. And the king is not inviting us into a life of drudgery. He's inviting us to a wedding banquet. This is no funeral. This is no visit to the dentist. This is no appointment at Service Ontario. This is a party. This is a feast. 
This is a celebration of the love the king has for his son, a love that both king and son want to invite us into. And the wedding garment we are being asked to don is not a heavy cloak or a suit of chainmail. It's a dress of finest silk and delicately placed shimmery jewels. It's a finely crafted suit that has been tailored just for us. When we put on this wedding garment, when we dress in a way worthy of our calling, when we put on the fruit of the Spirit and clothe ourselves in love and compassion, it just feels right. This is who we were made to be. God is inviting us to be who he made us to be, to live in love, to practice peace, to extend mercy, to go out in faith. So will you say yes to the dress? Today and tomorrow and the next day, will you delight in being invited to the feast of the king? Let's pray together. God of the feast, you have called us into a life that is good and beautiful and filled with joy. We do not deserve such an invitation, and yet you seek us out and welcome us in. May we respond in gratitude. May our lives reflect this grace that through us, by your spirit at work within us, shaping our words and our deeds, you might invite others into your kingdom. Help us to live in faith until that day when we are gathered at the final banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you do not give up on us, but return to us, calling us again and again into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.